Good afternoon, good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman and you're on Equal Footing. Interesting discussion tonight. A little bit of a listener's advisory for some of our listeners who would self-qualify as Orthodox Jews. Just want to let you know we're going to be talking about a subject that can be uh, sensitive for some. I think it's important to talk about openly and do so in a respectful manner. And that is the ordination of women in the rabbinate, female rabbis. And I want to thank our two guests coming at it from different perspectives. I want to, first of all, before I introduce our wonderful guests, I, this is not going to be a debate about whether there should or shouldn't be uh, female rabbis, but rather a discussion about different points of view on the subject, both from a Jewish law perspective, or otherwise known as halacha, and a Jewish tradition perspective, masora, and also sociological perspective. All right, Rachel Davidson. Thank you for joining Equal Footing. Rachel Davidson is a Reconstructionist rabbi. She grew up in Cleveland, where she learned in a Jewish day school, as well as public high school, and at her grandparents' Shabbat table and in her parents' sukkah. She was a proud member of the Reconstructionist affiliate in Cleveland, the Kol Halev Synagogue, and an avid camper and counselor at Camp Havaya. She later graduated from Oberlin College, and after college, she worked in a domestic violence shelter and then at the Oberlin College Hillel. As a rabbinical student, Rachel served as an intern at Westchester University, Bryn Mawr College, and the Monroe Village Senior Living Community, as well as other locations. And she focused her rabbinical training on both pastoral and textual skills, and uh, also enjoyed getting to research Jewish burial practices and the divine feminine or Shekhinah in the ancient Near East. By the way, Rabbi Rachel, and you gave me the permission before the show to call you Rabbi Rachel as, as opposed to Rachel, Rabbi Davidson. We, you would have been great, a great guest for us in the last several months. We've had shows both on, uh, burial practices in various religions or practices around death and the divine feminine. So look forward to our part two, maybe getting on the program. Uh, Rachel, Rabbi Rachel is a practicing rabbi and she's chaplain resident at the Lewis Stokes Cleveland Veterans Affairs Medical Center. So Rabbi Rachel, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. It's nice to have a first time guest joined by a veteran. Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. Rabbi Korf's been on the program a couple times before and Rabbi Korf, I have to give you kudos for participating in the last time a few months ago on the Jewish show of why where we just got peppered with questions from callers and text comments about different uh, traditions and and misunderstandings about uh, Jewish rites and rituals and beliefs that was very brave of you as it is brave of you to participate this evening on the topic of female rabbis Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf has been teaching Talmudic studies and Jewish law since the late 1980s. He attended yeshiva and rabbinical school in the New York area, as well as spending a year in Israel. And since 1990, he's been the Chabad Lubavitch Emissary, that's a global missionary organization in the Orthodox movement, in Hollywood, Florida, where he's the leader of the Hollywood Community Synagogue. Rabbi Korf also works with non-Jews, I think this is important, teaching the seven universal no-hide laws and fostering close relationships with seekers from all faiths. Rabbi Korf, Korf, most importantly, has two sons, five grandchildren, and a six. It says on the way, Rabbi Korf, have you had your sixth grandchild now in hand? I hope we've got Rabbi Korf on. 
I'm sorry, I had it on mute. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Um, yeah, I had that. We have six. I have six grandchildren. Thank God. I thought so. Between probably the last show and now, congratulations. Well, yeah. Rabbi Corp and Rabbi Rachel, uh, please feel free to speak closer to uh, to the the mic so we can listeners can really dive in. Okay, let's let's get right into what is often seen as. Uh, a controversial subject. So for those listeners that aren't Jewish, first of all, I think this is an interesting topic. Anything that has to do with evolving uh, gender roles and the breakdown of taboo and so forth on wherever you sit on, on the, on the issue is going to think be interesting. And for Jewish listeners, I think it's, it's, uh, it's particularly, um, it, it's one of the foremost issues of growth and debate in our community. And that is whether women uh, should be or even can be ordained as rabbis in the Orthodox movement. I want to be clear for those, especially the non-Jewish listeners, and especially in the United States, I want to make clear that there's so many denominations of Judaism. I spent a lot of my life living overseas. (laughs) I was surprised even when I'm in the States, it feels like, what? so what are you? And they ask if you're Jewish. Am I, you know, reform? Am I conservative? Am I modern Orthodox? Am I ultra Orthodox? Am I Satmar? Am I, you know, all these different, uh, uh, these different, um, kind of movements. But I do want to make clear that there are many movements in the U.S. and, and abroad. The conservative movement, for example, in the UK, where women have been ordained as rabbis for decades. Um, in some cases, for many decades, the Reconstructionist movement, the Reform movement, the conservative movement, and, uh, and even in elements of the modern Orthodox movement. However, in what's considered the kind of traditional Orthodox world, there really, and we'll get to this, is maybe one or two Women that, that would, that would qual, that, that kind of self-qualify as being orthodox female rabbis, at least accepted in the general community as such. Maybe I'm wrong there, stand to be corrected. But Rabbi Rachel Davidson, and again, I want to make clear that Rabbi, you said before the program to call you Rabbi Rachel, that's why I'm doing that. Rabbi Rachel, first of all, help people understand where things sit today. You're Rabbi in the Reconstructionist movement. Was that easy? How long has that been the case? And then we'll address with you, Rabbi Korf, where things stand in the Orthodox movement. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. So I actually, I just want to start by saying that um, I think it's interesting. I'm, I am not Orthodox. I wasn't raised Orthodox. I was raised Reconstructionist, egalitarian, traditional, but certainly in the non-Orthodox world. Um, and I think it would be really exciting to have the perspective of some of the graduates from Maharat, for example, or other Orthodox women who have become rabbis or other, um, other forms of Orthodox Jewish women's leadership. Um, but for me personally, I grew up in a religiously observant, non-Orthodox household. So I grew up wearing a kippah when we lit the Shabbat candles together on Friday nights. Um, I grew up going to a synagogue without a mesitza, that kind of thing. Judaism was always extremely important to my whole family. Um, and then when I was 18 years old, I felt a strong pull towards becoming a rabbi. Um, and specifically towards becoming a chaplain, becoming a clergy person who um, would work in healthcare. in my case. Um, and so I decided to go to rabbinical school. I explored different options. I looked around, and I ended up at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, which is a five-year program 
where we studied text and history um, and culture and ritual, and we also did a lot of internships and what we call practical rhythmics, so how to provide counseling, how to run a board meeting, how to do a budget, all of those um it's so Rabbi Rachel, sorry to interrupt, but for, for it's, so it sounds like, to, to put it simply for a listener may not be um, off-fay with the specifics of ordination, that it wasn't too much of a stretch for you, both within the movement that you were raised in uh, and maybe in, in your academic community, to become a rabbi. Did you ever feel like, oh, I'm not allowed to do this? Or was it a clear path of opportunity for you? Yeah, I mean, I have to say it's always funny for me because for me, when I felt pulled to becoming a rabbi, the barriers in my way had nothing to do with being a woman. Right. Um, it, I knew plenty of women rabbis growing up. They were leaders who I really looked up to. Um, so for me, becoming a rabbi was not, I, I actively identify as a feminist, but it wasn't a feminist decision. It was just a, oh, this is where God and my community are pulling me. Okay, That's so the direction that- I'll go in. I hear you. And, and that's really different than in the Orthodox world. So let me just, uh, before going to you with a question, Rabbi Korf, just to set the stage. In the Orthodox world, there really wasn't an organized religious education for women until the 1930s. The Base Yaakov movement came out of Poland, Sarah Scherer and, and others were involved with, with, with that. And really you didn't have even just broadly speaking, now I'm talking outside of the Orthodox community, but even broadly speaking, it wasn't until 1935 where you had globally in any movement the first rabbi ordained, and that actually ironically was in Germany. So as of today, there are a few uh, rabbis that have been ordained by Orthodox seminaries. There's one very vocal one in the UK, or was ordained there, and then came to, to sorry, it was ordained in the US, went to the UK, and then has come back. But in, it's almost unheard of. And before we get into your opinion on that, Rabbi Korf, am I right? First of all, have I set the stage correctly, or are there lots of uh, female Orthodox rabbis that I'm unaware of? Um, so the truth is, it's hard to really answer your question clearly because, number one, I don't speak for the Orthodox community. Number two, Chabad itself, a little perhaps I disagree with the way you described it, is not an Orthodox organization. We actually skew the, that kind of uh, title. We don't believe in these kinds of uh, um, distinctive or, or you know, separating type uh, names. Okay. Abad never considered himself specifically Orthodox. We are observant, Torah-observant Jews. We espouse a Torah-observant philosophy to all Jews. We don't really care what kind of a person that Jew is. Insofar as if you want me to speak specifically to an Orthodox rabbi, I don't know of any myself. Uh, in Lubavitch, Chabad, we don't ordain uh, uh, women. But if I could perhaps for a second just say that in, even though we don't necessarily ordain women, in all Chabad institutions throughout the world, and it's the largest religious organization of its kind, all Chabad houses are run equally. You'll find that as well on all of our uh, uh, internet, uh, um, Chabad.org, wherever you want to look. We consider ourselves, husband and wife, to be co-directors of every Chabad shul 
or every Chabad house. Right, so you'd have a rabbi and a, and a rebbetzin that together are a team. Yes, and the rebbetzin right. is on equal footing in all aspects of administrative aspects, perhaps even more so than the husband. Rabbi Rachel said she is, she's learned how to uh, learned how to do various things, of which I myself, quite frankly, have never really been very good at. Uh, running a board meeting or stuff like that, count me out, I'm not there. Can I give a woman to do it much better than me? 100%. Uh, and the same thing is in almost in so many different ways. And, and by the way, our women as well, they speak publicly, they speak openly, and they uh, have many, many opinions, including on Torah, writing, and so on and so forth. So what exactly, if you're asking, does it mean, are they ordained rabbis? The question really is, what does ordained rabbis mean? And then, does it have to, or does, is it necessary for women as well? And that's a whole discussion, perhaps, we can get into. Yeah, and, and the point of this was not to put you on the spot or, or have you, you know, kind of represent a, a movement. It, just wondering, in the Chabad community, it, are there women that are referred to as rabbis, or are they referred to as rabbitsin? No. No. Okay. no. Rabbitsin? Or, or director, or reach, yeah. or you know, executive director, or something in that in that thing. Now, a few weeks ago, we had a show on Shekhinah, on the feminine divine in, in in Judaism, and name and and biblically, we talked, we referred to Devorah and Miriam and Yael and others that had very important roles in uh, Jewish history and in our belief system as Jews, and clearly. In, in that show, it, it at least became clear uh, to me that the feminine divine is so intertwined in Jewish thought and in even in biblical law, beyond the gender roles, the actual um, the manifestation of, of the divine via or intertwined with feminine energy. Rabbi Rachel... How is it, and then we'll go to our first break, but I'll give you a last word on this first segment here. How does it make you feel that there are, there are large swaths of the Jewish community that despite ascribing halachically and, and mesorically, so in terms of law and tradition, to the central concept of the feminine divine, don't actually allow for women to be rabbis? Is that, is that something that irks you? moments in my life where I found it frustrating or painful. Um, right now, I, I actually have to say that the thing I find difficult is that I feel so distant from the Orthodox world. Um, I lead an extremely immersive Jewish life, and I think I actually feel guilty for how distant I am. Um, it feels funny to me. I really believe in Kuala Israel that we're all part of the sacred community of the Jewish people. Um, and I think I, you know, if, if someone were rude to me, if someone were disrespectful, I would find that difficult. But personally, as a feminist, I think that there's um, there's patriarchy, there's misogyny in all aspects of the world, including in the Jewish world, including in my Jewish community. I, I don't find it especially, it's not something that keeps me up at night, I'll just say, yeah. Okay. That's fair. We're going to take our first break. We're talking about 
women in the rabbinate, female rabbis, where have we been, where are we, where are we going, joined by Rabbi Rachel Davidson from the Reconstructionist Movement, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf from the Chabad Lubavitch Movement. You can participate in this conversation. You can do so attributing yourself with your name. You can do so anonymously. You can call or text. If you want to call in live, it's 718 303 That's 718 You can also text or WhatsApp a question or comment to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back. Is it cool that I said all that? Is it too soon to do this yet? Cause I know that it's delicate. All right, well, let's talk about our first sponsor. It's been a long-time loyal sponsor here to, uh, to uh, Equal Footing. That's DocuVax. More relevant than ever. These days, we're now asked for, or soon it's going to be in a lot of locations, for example, in the New York area, we're going to be asked for an actual vaccine passport, effectively, on your phone. Well, there are, are alternatives out there in terms of managing your medical information in a way that's more in your control and less invasive and bureaucratic. DocuVax offers you, whether you're a small or medium-sized business owner or a school administrator or even just a head of household, to manage all of your medical information and your family's medical information or offer a tool for your employees to manage their own medical information in an easy-to-use digital locker. It's accessible on your laptop or smartphone, and the DocuVax medical digital locker allows you to safely store and validate your basic medical information from your immunization records to your lab results, even x-rays and MRIs and other preventative screenings. Gone are the days of losing time, tracking down your old medical records on your phone or computer or in in your filing system and providing it to a new healthcare provider or an employer or a school. The DocuVac system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile from COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings to blood type and allergy information. To sign up, go to docuvax.com, that's D-O-C-U-V-A-X, or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. For as little as $6.99 per month, DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of your medical records from a secure, HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. And as a DocuVax, DocuVax subscriber, here's the best part, medical professionals are available and on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your locker. So you have doctors and nurses on call for you to get anything validated if you need to show it to a third party. And you can show it to a third party privately without sharing other information you don't want to, like your birthday, your age, your location, your residence, etc. It uses a proprietary QR code-based system, and it keeps your data secure at all times. It's an alternative to the Excelsior Pass program in New York, for example, which is accepting other apps like DocuVax to store your vaccine records. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file. Your medical file belongs to you, 
not your insurance provider, not the government, not even your doctor. It belongs to you. Sign up at DocuVax.com or call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman, and I'm here with my guests, Rabbi Rachel Davidson and Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. We are talking about female rabbis. The barriers are coming down. They've been coming down for decades in other in different aspects of the Jewish community, but even in the Orthodox world, you're starting to see women ordained as rabbis. Yes. In fact, I'm going to... Uh, in the research for this show, came across one. There's only a few out there that have been ordained by Orthodox rabbinical schools. One of them is a woman, I hope I'm pronouncing this name correctly, Rabbi Lila Kagadin. And she has been very active on uh, this issue. And she actually pushed the RCA, the Rabbinical Council of America, which is a, a group of leading rabbis from the Orthodox tradition, and I want to be fair to Rabbi Korf on, on this, on the show. In his last segment, he said he's not here representing the Orthodox tradition. And Rabbi Rachel, I'm sure you're not here representing the Reconstructionist movement. You're just representing yourselves and your view on the world. But there are organizations out there that do represent these movements. And the RCA, or the Rabbinical Council of America, it is recently as October 2018. And I gotta tell you, this sounds like the not kind of pronouncing it here in the 1930s or, or 1940s, uh, issued a proclamation prohibiting its members, not just saying we don't approve of women being rabbis, but prohibiting its members from ordaining women as rabbis or hiring women who call themselves rabbis. Now, the proclamation went on to reiterate a previous ruling, there are multiple rulings over the years, from 2013, saying that ordaining women is, quote, a violation of our Masorah, a violation of our tradition. All right, now, that has gotten significant pushback, and there have been a lot of folks, including those in the Chabad community, that have said that was a step too far. Uh, however, it is telling that in programming for this show, and I want to thank our producer, who's very patient around this type of stuff, we had to reach out to probably 20 or maybe maybe 25 rabbis to get anyone on the show who would be willing to be open about their position that either women shouldn't be rabbis or about living in a tradition where women aren't rabbis. Now, to me, and we've done some shows on controversial topics, to me, Rabbi Korf, and I applaud you again for you being on the show and speaking your truth and giving us your, your point of view. To me, if you have people that are unwilling to defend a position or even talk about it, especially in a show like this where we don't attack anybody, we're not trying to create, you know, controversy, we're just trying to understand things and talk about things in a civil manner. To me, that's a red flag. That says something's, something's wrong. It's like we've had trouble on this show, for example, before getting people on to talk about uh, white supremacy or to, to talk about uh, sensitive subjects where people just wouldn't want to be on the air defending it. Why is it so hard to get someone to be on the air and say, yeah, you know what? I don't think women should be rabbis. Uh, first of all, I just want to tell you, you've been, I don't know why, you've been uh, going in and out, and I've been losing you a few times. So I may have lost part of your thread in what you were saying. However, with the bit that I, the little bit that I did hear, 
I, I don't think there is really a lot of blame to go. And quite frankly, I don't, I didn't know or don't know who you're trying to get and who's, and, and who's not coming on. I, I, I can only, as I, as you correctly said, I'm only talking for myself. But I can tell you, I don't think it has anything to do with thinking of a red flag. It's just, uh, you know, in today's society, when you talk, talk about a, red, a hot button issue, uh, some people are just scared to talk about it because it's not going to be accepted that well. Emotions run high. And when emotions run high, you know, sometimes uh, logic or rationality takes a back seat, and it's very difficult to have a legitimate and quiet, uh, um, you know, discussion. I've already had to do with you, so I know that that's what you're about, and I'm very happy about that, or else I would not have come on, no matter how hot the issue is. Right, right. I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in garnering fame for myself. Uh, but if it's a legitimate issue, I'm happy to talk about it. But as long as it's done respectfully and rationally and without getting angry, uh, that can be had. But in today's society, it's very difficult. So therefore, many people are most probably scared, not because they don't have a legitimate uh, explanation or understanding or willingness to talk about it, but just the, ty- the times that we live in. Yeah, and I, again, really appreciate being on. I hope you can hear me more steadily now. Let's actually use that as a cue to build a bridge, because right before we went to the break, Rabbi Rachel, you, you mentioned how you sometimes, you, how you feel distant from the Orthodox community, and I can, you know, I kind of have a foot in both worlds, but I, I get where you're coming from, and Rabbi Korf, you, you spoke beautifully about Chabad's non-denominational approach, like not saying you know, we're Orthodox or we're X or Y, um, we're observant Jews. And and I know Chabad is so welcoming, people of all... of all. Um, and, and I don't feel distant from any community. I don't yeah. feel distant from any community, I've got to be honest with you. Even those who disagree with me. I'm not just, I don't feel a distance. We may disagree. I'm, re- I'm so happy to be your friend. And so, and that's where, R- Rabbi Rachel, have, do you see it as part of your mission uh or your you know your your mitzvot uh as a rabbi to promote more uh gender equality and representation in the rabbinate or is this kind of a a sideshow for you in terms of your actual religious mission so also for you um or for this question um my other dad my uh sacred service is really towards chaplaincy. So in that field, um, I'm working with people who are sick and dying, and I think that's really um, the best use of my skills. But I was thinking earlier, um, after you asked the question about did I ever feel frustrated or irked about people not being able to be a rabbi, I was thinking that for me it hasn't, you know, no one has told me or no one has barred me from studying Gemara. I've been able to do the things I want to do. For non-Jewish listeners, what is, what is Gemara? Ah. Uh, Gemara is, um, the, mm, it's, okay, let's have one sentence for you. It's a large Jewish legal conversation from the 6th century BCE. We'll put it like that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. So I've been able to study Jewish texts. I've been able to study Jewish history. But I think sometimes about um, little Jewish girls who maybe aren't able, who have brilliant minds, who would be really good at 
studying halakha, Jewish law, and could really bring a unique voice to that study and who aren't able to. And, and I would like to support them. I want to help them use the fullness of the gifts that God has given them and bring those gifts to the Jewish people and the world. Um, so that feels really important to me. Rabbi Korf, uh, the, the other side of that coin, what is f- Jewish feminism to you? Do you, do, and do you want to talk of, give us your perspective? Well, Jewish feminism to me, which is something which is very important to me, and I believe as well to the Chabad philosophy, is the idea that each, each gender is equal in the eyes of God. And the fact that each gender, each sex is equal doesn't make one necessarily have to be like the other or necessarily appropriate um, types of behavior or types of jobs or whatever to prove themselves. For example, in Lubavitch, in Chabad, uh, as I said to you before, in each Chabad house, we're co-directors. And that's literally what it means, co-directors. The thing is, everybody has to fulfill their uh, mission and their uh, appointed, um, you know, talents in life. And from birth, at least as we believe and the way the Torah teaches us, is every gender has their particular talents. It doesn't mean to say that there aren't sometimes unique cases that are different. Like you said before, you brought the example of Devorah the prophet, various other women prophets. They were unique in in the fact that they received direct communication from God to communicate to the Jewish people, just as other male prophets did. When we talk about uh, ordination or when we talk about fulfilling certain jobs, which God's not telling you what to do, you have to follow a certain uh, um, a certain you know framework, and that framework tells you, or you follow, based on that framework, you know what your talents are best used at. And if you use those talents to the best of your ability, you can have a true impact, a great impact on this world. So, for example, if a man, if the rabbi's job is to read the Torah or to lead the services or to speak. To make a sermon, and if the Rebbe's job, in our case, what you normally, what you sometimes call her, or the co-director's job, the woman, the wife, uh, and the spouse of the rabbi, is her job is to make sure that the uh, uh, the money is paid, that the bills are paid, that the uh, meetings are taken care of, and that the um, summer camp or the day school is being run accordingly. Whoever has those talents. And by the way, she can speak as well, and she does speak in many so we're cases. Gonna, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to we're going to come back to that issue of gender roles. You're, this is a very interesting issue, kind of close to a third rail. Are there established gender roles? Can we move out of those gender roles? We're going to take our second break and call her on line two. We got you. Please hang on. And uh, really interesting questions, comments. One very. Very interesting, hard-hitting one, which we'll get to right after the break. Be back on Equal Footing in a minute. Equal 
Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tuzman. We're talking about women in the rabbinate, female rabbis, joined by my guests, Rabbi Rachel Davidson, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf. Okay, we got a really interesting comment here by text. And it's got three quotes. One from the Torah, one from the Christian Bible, the New Testament, and one from the Quran, the Islamic uh, holy book. So I am going to read these, and the challenge is, I'm going to ask each of you, which of these holy books does the quote come from? So here we go. The first one, men have authority over women because God has made the one superior to the other and because they spend their wealth to maintain them. Good women are obedient. They guard their unseen parts because God has guarded them. As for those from whom you fear disobedience, admonish them and send them to beds apart. Rabbi Rachel, is that from the Torah, the Quran, or the or the Christian Bible? I have a feeling it's from the New Testament, the Christian Christian Bible, but I'm not sure. I have not studied it. All right, Rabbi Korf, what do you think? Okay, we may have, we may have lost you, Rabbi Corbett. You may be on mute. So, uh, that is... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry. I, I think, I don't think it's from the Torah. Alright, so you're, are you saying Christian Bible or the Quran? You know what, it sounds Quranic, but uh, I can't say for sure. Alright, well you're both right that it isn't the Torah. It's from the Quran, Surah 434. Okay, so now we're down to the Torah and the Christian Bible. Here we go. Oop, I have uh, lost the, the, the text. Okay. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy pain and thy conception. In pain thou shalt bring forth children, and, the, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Rachel. By Torah. Yeah, that's from the Torah. That's Genesis. Yes, that's Genesis 3.16. And of course, everything can be taken out of context. That don't sound so good, though. Okay, well, I, ha- I want to read the last one from Bob. And thank you to this listener sending these through. Not and, and, and at, the, at the head of this, by the way, it said a common theme, dot, dot, dot. Okay, here's a third. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
That's Ephesians of uh, New Testament. I obviously didn't read that one first because it makes it clear in context. Okay, I mean, there's a common theme there. And, and Rabbi Rachel, before we went to the break, Rabbi Korf was talking about different gender roles and that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that, you know, there can be different roles that are different but equal. And I have to say that different but equal language, a bit of a trigger because that's been used in areas of kind of repressing, oppressing civil rights for a long time. But let's take it in its best sense. How do you feel about that? Are there predefined gender roles that uh, you can get on board with, Rabbi Rachel? Yeah, so what I would say is that I think there is nothing wrong with any person saying, you know, our society teaches that women should be primarily wives and mothers or primarily should be paying attention to practical matters rather than Torah matters. And if some woman hears that and says to herself, you know, that really fulfills me. More power to you. That's wonderful. I would never say, like, we all have to do what I do or what someone else does. But I, for me, the goal of feminism is to give people the option, right, to say that some men might really be best suited towards parenting, right? And that's uh, in the Jewish context. Some women might be best suited towards what Rabbi Doris was talking about, of um, giving Jivrei Torah, giving sermons, teaching Torah, studying halakha, studying Jewish law. So my hope is that people will have just the option to use their gifts and talents in the best way possible. All right, well, you guys are, are finding some common ground and both very... I, if I can just, if you don't mind, if I can just uh, add a little bit to what Rabbi Rachel said, I don't disagree with her, and neither does Chabad, because our women teach halacha, they teach Torah on a regular basis, they give classes just as much as the rabbi does, and if their talents lend themselves to this kind of work, then that's what they do. But that's not the discussion. We're talking about ordination, which is a specific thing. But if we're talking about teaching like Devorah did, or if we're talking about giving over Torah and Halacha to all types of people, men and women, then women are just as capable as men are. And in in our schools, women learn all types of Torah studies. Yeah. And on um, on that point, Rabbi Korf, I think it, it would be interesting for Orthodox listeners to reflect on the Beis Yaakov movement, because it's taken for granted now, not in all Orthodox communities, but in most, that girls also get religious training, religious education, and go through uh, that that type of educational environment. And that was not the reality until about 80, 90 years ago. In fact, it was unheard of. And there was... Uh, equal, if not greater resistance for decades for, and, you know, in Chabad to, to its great credit was on the progressive forefront of that. But it really wasn't until the 1950s and 60s that you had broad acceptance of that in most of the Orthodox world. So I think when you reflect on that and you think about the resistance that occurred in the early part of the 20th century to girls learning at all in a religious context, and then you, you well, think about today's debate oh, about ordination. I, I, I do, I think it gives you, it, 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 to me at least, it puts things in more perspective and, and makes me think that probably things will trend towards, um, broad 
uh, female ordination. Just my, my two cents. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. The Lubavitcher Rebbe himself addressed a lot of what you said regarding the Beit Yaakov schools and the initiation of girls going to school, which was not the case over a hundred years ago. Right. And without going into great length, the one thing he mentioned was that as time goes on, there are certain new ideas so long, and this is very important, so long as they're in the framework of halacha to, be, to, to break through, even though it never existed before. As long as it's within the framework of halacha, and as long as it serves a purpose to keep God-fearing, a God-fearing life in, in place. And therefore, since as time went on and Jewish communities saw that keeping girls away from school and not learning enough and not knowing enough can only lead to a lot of problems since they're becoming more accepted amongst amongst Gentile neighborhoods and Gentile uh, people, they have to be also forearmed with the knowledge of Torah so they can know how to live just like men. And therefore, that's why schools came into being, and why girls. Right. And that's and that's a cogent rational. And that's a cogent cogent rationalization. I'm just but, pointing but to the Rebbe fact that, that before further. all that stuff makes a lot of sense. But as of as recently as a hundred years ago, there the, oh, there wasn't we, allowed we, at all. I'm not, trying, I'm not denying history. I'm right. not denying history. The interpretation the of halacha is, changes. I guess is my point. Interpretation, uh, listen, halacha is very broad. You never have a consensus always in halacha. Uh, and therefore, that's why you have many great rabbis within the framework of halacha who can, can, can disagree in, to a certain extent, but in the end, it comes together. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, for example, explained that in today's day and age, women must learn the most esoteric aspects of Torah, such as Kabbalah and, Hasid- and Hasidic philosophy, equally so as men. Because without knowing the Hasidic philosophy, the Kabbalistic philosophy, you cannot be a good enough Jew in our estimation. That gives you a greater understanding of what you were talking about before, of the Shekhinah, the, the quote-unquote femininity aspect of it, the masculinity aspect of it. The, all of those things are taught to women just as much as they are to men. I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair point. I want to get to a couple of listeners' comments and questions. And uh, if you want to call in, we did, we did have a technical difficulty there over the breaks. We dropped some callers. 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090 if you want to call back in or if you want to text a question or comment, as many of you have already, 917-428-4062 for a text. 917-428-4062. First of all, here's a little bit of an interesting but softball one that uh, that comes from Richard, uh, who says, I'm not a Jew. I respect the religion greatly, and I always learn with this show. On tonight's subject, I would venture to say that it's smart to allow women to become rabbis, and Catholics, Catholics like me should take a hint, and other religions should too. The diversity changes that have swept across the world, including women's rights, are strong, deep, and let's be honest, here to stay. Any institution, be it a religion or a country, faces extinction in the long term if women are not equally empowered. Interesting comment. It's a question, but I wanted to, 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 to read that perspective. Uh, Rabbi Rachel, you have a couple of questions. Hey, did you want to comment on that, Rabbi Korf? I would, I would be happy to comment on that. Shoot. I, 
my comment is that, number one, Judaism is not worried about extinction. Uh, <laughs> yes, prophets, no, we're, many, we're always worried about extinction, but I, I hear you. Less so no, 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 no. <laughs> we're worried about it, but we're not worried that it will happen. Many prophets have falsely foretold the extinction of the Jewish people, and I think uh, Mark Twain put it best when he said he could not figure out the great endurance of the Jewish people all of this time. It so is pretty amazing. These kinds of... Uh, these kinds of meaningless, you know, extinction, this and that. We're not trying to be Catholics. We're not trying to be other kinds of religions. But I, think, I, think, the the listeners, I think the listener's point was more that we need to be on what the right I, side of history, say, though. No, no. So what I want to say is, however, in and of itself, if it makes sense and if it's right, then it's right. And I agree that there is today a definite openness, and that's, that's never going to change, and it's never going to go back. And quite frankly, the Kabbalah already talks about this. When the Kabbalah says that when the Messiah comes, it says that the woman will be the crown of the man. What does that mean to say? Okay, I, 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 so I'm going to interrupt you just because of time, and I want to make sure to get to other to their callers. And, okay. and sorry, sorry about that, Rabbi Korf. Um, okay, uh, Rabbi Rachel, we're going to have to take a break in the comments, right? I have some patient callers and a question um, directly to you. And and this this uh, this person texting wants to know how you felt about Rabbi Korf talking about female co-directors because from her point of view all the activities explained sounded like the work of a secretary so I'll actually to be honest I actually love the use of the term co-director instead of Reviston what I struggle with personally and Rabbi Kors this is no no attack towards you I think Chabad actually does a really good job of um giving women strong leadership, which I really respect. But I noticed that even for you, Rabbi Kors, it sounds like you're really a feminist, but even you said that the co-director of the Revison is the spouse of the rabbi, and no one ever refers to a rabbi as the spouse of the Revison. And I think what that... Oh, oh, they they sure do. Finish your point, Rabbi Rachel. I want to get to a caller as well. I think what it reveals is that what the Jewish tradition has always explicitly valued the most is the voice of rabbis. And if those are only men, it means you're only valuing men's voices. Caller on line three, you're on the air. Hi, very interesting subject, and I just wanted to add a little bit. First of all, to respond to this uh, young lady who just spoke a few moments ago about men uh, getting all the acclimates and not the women, um, it doesn't are bother you, me at all. <laughs> are you, are you talking about the person who texted, or are you talking about Rabbi Rachel who's on with us? Yes. Uh, is, it Rabbi, is it Rabbi Rachel? I thought it was the Rabbi Korf uh, uh, who's on. Okay, but anyway, go ahead, yeah. Anyway, so I just wanted to respond that um, not everything uh, has to be done in the open. Not everybody wants or needs acclimates. Um, the house has um, um, a uh, uh, the part of the house that you don't see that's the strongest part is beneath it. So um, it's not a big problem for me that's at any rate. Um, Meaning you don't have to- an issue with defined and separate gender roles. No, not whatsoever. Why would I want to be a doctor when I'm a lawyer? Why would I be a lawyer when I'm a doctor? Why would I want to be a man when I'm a woman? Why do I want to be a woman when I'm a man? I'm so happy. Do you have, do you have with a the question for? Uh, fair enough. Yes, but I just wanted to make a comment also that um, many years ago um, we brought a woman from Cleveland, Ohio, 
to one of the conventions, and she went into an audience with the rabbi. She was not wearing a shaitel. She was a religious woman, but in those that's days... That's for non-Jewish uh, listeners, that's a, no, a wig. No, she was very yeah. Jewish, but she was not... She was orthodox, you know, but not like today, you know, mm-hmm. the very, very... Mm-hmm. Anyway, she went in, and I, I was right... I wasn't in the room with her, but she walked out, and she said, the minute I told the Lubavitcher Rebbe that I am a student of Sarah Shanira, he stood the entire time. Sarah Shanira, for listeners' benefit, is the yeah. founder of the Beis Yaakov uh, Girls Woman. Educational System. Right, right. And he was very much, he said that women must learn. Women have a lot of time today. We are not uh, uh, so bogged down, even though we may have a large family. We still have washers and refrigerators, and we're not so bogged down. We have plenty of empty time, and we should occupy ourselves with um, the proper thoughts and the proper ideas, and the way we have that is through learning. And it actually, right. We started uh, the Nesheikh Abad, the women's organization, way before the women's movement, the women's lib movement. And it was very much into the power, empowering women. It doesn't mean that we have to be a man. I'm very happy to be where I am. But we have You a bring lot up of, an interest. I appreciate your calling. You bring up one, a, more, one more thing, if I can just add. Um, uh, we always have a lot of guests for Shabbat. And I once yeah. had this woman who walked in, and her car was sprinkled all over. Whatever a man can do, a woman can do better, and blah, blah, blah. And my husband walked in from Shul, and he's like, do we have Bella Abzug in this house? And she's like, how do you know Bella Abzug? He said, well, I don't live in a, you know, in a tunnel. <laughs> anyway, at the end of the story is this woman, the first time in her life, she was 62 years old, that she ever lit the Shabbat candles was in my house. The first time in her life that she ever heard about empowering women or the laws of women or specialties. And, and, that, and, that and she went crazy because she was a college professor. And all her life she thought that the women were like second-class citizens and Rahmanis and pathetic. And, and here she sees myself and I have seven daughters and she she just... We stayed friends for all her life. She was such such a special lady, and she I, had never I appreciate, ever I appreciate you calling in. Your, your point is well thank taken you. with respect. Yeah, okay. no, thank you very much. Your point is well taken with respect to the the, the different roles actually it, having uh, acceptance and being embraced by communities. There was some real time feedback while that was going on, um, and and we'll get to you caller line one after the last break. Um, one is Richard, who had written in about the possibility of, of extinction by any institution or religion if uh, over time, if women are not equally empowered, uh, heard your comment on air, Rabbi Korf, and said, you took it the wrong way, or he took it the wrong way. Too bad. I was just saying I have no doubt Judaism will evolve along with the rest of, of humanity. So I also want to get to this point of um, learning versus authority and influence. And we have a listener uh, who wrote in, her name is Yocheved, and she said that the, the question is really not, the question is about how much power women actually have in the Orthodox community. It's not about learning. It's about authority and influence. And she points out as well that women are often erased from popular Orthodox media. Uh, so there's a certain amount of visibility that's inherent in leadership, she says. How is that possible when women are literally being erased from popular Orthodox Jewish media? We only have a minute before the break. Rabbi Korf, you want to comment on that? Yeah, I, I don't know where she's getting these ideas from. Uh, anybody who follows Chabad will see women on their media, on their, on their bulletins, on their uh, radios. And quite frankly, the authority in every Chabad house, I would put at greater levels than the man, quite frankly, because many women are much more talented and have the ability to run things a lot better than the men do. 
Right. And we're not ashamed of it. And I no think to be, to be fair from your perspective, Chabad is unique. I think, I think her question, her point was about that's the, the part Orthodox I can talk community. about. We yeah, don't that's erase, fair. That's we fair. Don't erase women. Yeah. We don't so, erase so women Rabbi Rachel, do you, do you, do you see that more broadly outside of Chabad and the Orthodox community that there isn't, there aren't women in, 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 in positions of authority and influence? Again, I'm not here to judge anyone, but I think it's helpful to note that even if you just go to the Chabad.org website, again, a wonderful website, there are certainly women writing good Torah there. Most of the voices are still coming from men. Um, and I think, so that I course mentioned earlier, and maybe after the break we can talk about this, is what is a rabbi? Like in a, the most literal definition of what is a rabbi. We're gonna, so maybe we can talk about We're going to get to that right yeah. after the break. We'll take our last break. Thanks, guys. You might not want to lose your power But heaven is so strange She said you All right. Let's talk about a loyal long-term sponsor to Equal Footing, Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere on the planet. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed individualized buyback contracts. For more information, you can go to mechanicalartcapital.com. You can also go on to the Apple or Android app stores and find Mechanical Arts app. You can get your collection or your inventory of watches appraised and you can get a financing offer. It's really easy. For more information, call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. And in most cases, you can get your capital, your cash in one or two days. So call 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. I've been back on equal footing. I wish we had another hour. We have five minutes left to talk about female rabbis. We've got callers waiting, a lot of good other uh, text comments and questions. Rachel, I, Rabbi Rachel, I interu- interrupted you before the break. What is a rabbi? You were going to tell us. Right. So in the liberal Jewish world, I would say that a rabbi is a Jewish clergy person, a Jewish religious and spiritual leader. I think in the Orthodox world, there's a really specific halachic definition of a rabbi, and it's a person who can pass in halacha. It's a person who can make Person's Jewish verse for non-Jewish listeners, halacha or halacha is, is Jewish law. Right. So a rabbi is a person who can make Jewish legal decisions. Now, I'm not Orthodox. I'm not a post I don't make Jewish legal decisions although I can help people find the answers. Um, I think, but if we're coming from an Orthodox framework, the question is not, can women be Jewish leaders? In a modern feminist Orthodox framework, they absolutely can. The question is, can they pass in halakha? Some people will say yes, some people will say no, but just to make it super clear, I wanted to put that That's out. really important. I'm glad you said that, because rabbi can be seen as a teacher, that's one definition, but you're making a very specific, nuanced definition, which is very fair, which is someone who can make a legal decision based on Jewish law. Caller on line one, you've been very patient. What you got going on? Hi, uh, good evening. 
let me make this statement. This is Stan. How Hi, are you? Stan. I'll make Good it evening. quick. You're running out of time yeah. again. All right. Uh, the rabbi, the gentleman, can dilute himself all he wants. He can live and he lives in his world. And there will never be a woman rabbi uh, allowed in the Orthodox Hobbit community. It's just that's the way it will be. Look, Sarah, Miriam, Ruth, the rabbi you have on the lady is a heredity of them, and thank heavens for that. But the other worlds will never yield to the fact that women are equal to them in any way. And even on the religious end of it, it will never happen. They don't believe it. They never will. I'm sorry. That's just fact. If that gentleman says he needs co-directors, it sounds like the bank to me or the bank of a director with uh, Purdue. You know, it's dope. You know what I'm talking you about. You gave me a great segue into the end of the show, Stan. It's actually oh, perfect timing. I'll, I'll listen. No perfect problem. timing. Here's All my right, la- Thank you. Here's my here's the, the, the question. It comes out of Stan's question. Uh, I want to have you end. It's only about a minute each. By taking the other position, having uh, compassion for the other's point of view. And Rabbi Korf, maybe, actually Rabbi Rachel, why don't you give us a, start us off on that. When you encounter someone who's really rooted in an idea that women should not be rabbis, you still hold compassion and love and you still, you still minister to them if they want. What resonates with you? What part of that position can you say, you know what, I get it. I really, you know, I really resonated with the caller earlier who called and said that she doesn't want to be a man. She likes the role that she has. Um, to me, I, I'm hoping to become a mother someday, hopefully, Bezrat Hashem, with the help of God, someday soon. Um, and so I, I don't think that the roles that Jewish women have traditionally held are bad. I think they're sacred and beautiful, and so I really resonate with that. Gotcha. I just also want women to be able to have other forms of leadership as Got well. It. Thank you, Rabbi Rachel. Rabbi Joseph Isaac Kor, finish us off in a minute or less. What is it about the position that resonates with you when someone says, Rabbi, I love coming to your Chabad house. I love you, and we're getting great spiritual counsel from you, but I think women should be rabbis, and it bothers me. What is what is the position there? What part of that can you resonate with and say, I get you? Um, there's so much that I haven't been able to say, and we really need another hour for this at least. But in, just to end it off, uh, I can say like this. Um, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe once said about the 60s that the youth of the 60s, while they may have not done things perhaps in the right way, and they've gone off and become very self-absorbed in many ways and so on, but you can tell that they had a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, desire to do good and to accomplish many good things. Just needed, they just needed direction so that it could be done in the most positive and in the most uh, po- uh, proper manner and in a way that could have the most good. I believe that in any Jew, no matter who or he or she is, as long as we remember the most important thing, which is that we are really one, we are one and the same, even if our philosophies tend to diverge, that's a beautiful uh, we way. We are beyond our philosophy. Yeah. That's a beautiful the way to end. Summa really yeah. what's most important. Thank you both. Um, let's end on that note of, of unity and that uh, we can we can hold different points of view, still love one another. Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, Rabbi Rachel Davidson, thanks for being on Equal Footing. Thank you.